Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. this latest episode this is jeremy and today i welcome the multi-instrumentalist record producer mixing engineer and mastering engineer t.w walsh you definitely know t.w from the bands pedro the lion headphones low tom as well as his solo records that are incredible Uh, t.w and i talk about some of those old records and some of his feelings and perspectives on them which is really cool to hear um some awesome nuggets in there and uh it was just a really cool opportunity to connect with someone actually i did not know up till this point which is really cool i I, not that i not that i know everyone but i think it's really cool that i've I've been able to broaden uh this podcast a little bit and get to meet some new people so i really want to thank tw uh for his time and it's a really cool conversation i hope you thoroughly enjoy so thanks guys Hey, T.W., thanks so much for joining my podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, thank you so much. Yeah, Jeremy. Thanks for asking. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, tell me, what, what are you uh, – are you in Boston now currently? Or like where, where are you living? What's going on with uh, in your life right now? Yeah, I live near Boston. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts and in, in the Boston area and – I've lived here most of my life. I, I did live on the West Coast in Washington State for uh, about three and a half years in the early 2000s. But other than that period, I've lived um, in northeastern Massachusetts. You love the cold weather? <laughs> Not really. I mean, <laughs> at this point in my life, that's kind of my least favorite aspect of living here. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was... 10 below zero Fahrenheit, um, which is not common, but, um, you know, it is, it is cold and precipitous and (laughs) icy and snowy (laughs) here. So, uh, 
you know, as I as I get older, maybe I'll find a, a more temperate place to right. hire, you know. There is definitely a charm to that area for sure. Uh, I definitely can understand, you know, people wanting to stay there for sure. Yeah, it's got um, a lot of good culture and um, a lot of interesting stuff happening. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's let's dig in and um, and look, kind of tell me how uh, life was growing up for you, how music was involved in your life, kind of how you started on this path, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I grew up in Massachusetts. Um, I was born in 75, so that'll probably contextualize some of, like, the music stuff for you. Um, I had a pretty, you know, working-class upbringing. You know, um, my parents just worked jobs and um, didn't have a college education, and so we had a certain kind of, like, style of living that was in line with that, and... um, as far as music goes, my dad had a pretty cool record collection. It wasn't very big, but he had good taste. I mean, it was all mainstream stuff. You know, it was, um, there wasn't much of a music underground before like punk rock and DIY and stuff. So everybody was listening to the same records, obviously. But um, he was born in 50. So, you know, he was a teenager in the late 60s and in his 20s and the 70s. He was into stuff like uh, the Stones and Zeppelin and Neil Young and I don't know, Allman Brothers and whatever else. And so he had that stuff in his <clears throat> record collection and uh, he would listen to that. But he was always into contemporary music too. So, like in the 70s, before I was born, uh, when I was young, I think he was getting into, um, you know, what was happening in the 70s. And in the late 70s, he kind of started getting into more British music uh, and, like, new a little bit of new wave and stuff like that, what was happening, like Elvis Costello and the attractions and um, the police, Graham Parker. And he was also into the Talking Heads quite a bit. Um, so in the 80s, that was kind of the stuff that I was listening to in the house. Like, um, you know, just stuff from his record co- collection from the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. But then that's also when, like, um, MTV came along. So I kind of yeah. got exposed to um, video games around that time. And then, like you know, synthesizer music and drum machines and stuff, which were starting to really hit, like, mainstream music. Um, And there was a lot of cool stuff happening, hip-hop. So, like, um, I really have never discriminated. Like, I've really had a kind of um, an eclectic music taste and listened to a lot of different kinds of music from, you know, classic rock to alternative rock to punk to indie to hip-hop, jazz um, reggae. So, um, you know, I definitely subscribe to that kind of adage that there's, there's, uh, only good and bad music. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good melting pot too. It's, uh, I come, I'm all over the place myself. I kind of, you know, started in, you know, punk rock, if you will, or, you know, you know, the younger, and then I, you know, my taste has grown over the years and it's, I appreciate the older stuff now, <laughs> the older I get, you know, it's like, wow. I was a turd back in the back in the day when I was like I don't like this band or whatever. Well, I think that you just kind of 
really where your taste gets cemented is is kind of in your teenage years and like yeah. you kind of art you know just um at the mercy of whatever's happening in culture at that time yeah. so um you know yeah a lot of us have some questionable uh favorite things <laughs> in our past 100 percent agree with that that's sweet. So um, kind of obviously with those influences, is that kind of what uh, what were some of the first bands you started? What kind of got you um, into the music world in terms of playing and, and where did that go from there? Yeah, I would say um, there were a few things that kind of happened in my life that kind of set me on the music path. One was just being around a lot of music in the house. Um, and in the eighties, my dad got a hi-fi VHS player, which was, it had like stereo audio output. So yeah. he, could, he could send the stereo. I mean, I'm sure my mom almost killed him for buying it because it would have been <laughs> hundreds of dollars. And <laughs> I bet. But you know, like a hi-fi VHS player, but then we could watch, um, concert videos, uh, in at home, and uh, my dad loves like live music and concert videos, so he would he would be blasting the stuff on the the stereo while the video was playing on the screen. And so there were a couple like really key things for me. Um, he he had these handful of of videos that he would play all the time. The first one was. Um, the song remains the same by Led Zeppelin. Mm. Um, that concert movie um, was really something that opened my eyes to like the power of of rock music and drums yeah. in particular. Like I got really into drums after watching Bonham on that video. Just the sound, the power, the the swing, the the swagger, and so I kind of fell in love with. Zeppelin at that point, they were kind of my first favorite band, you know, kind of diving deep into their catalog. And, uh, you know, it was during, you know, back in those days, before streaming or anything, you, mm -hmm. you really had to purchase the music and listen yeah. to it. And so as some a kid without a job or whatever, I only had a handful of cassettes, you know, so it'd be like you'd, you'd get a new tape and uh, I'd, you'd dive really deep on it. Yeah. That's all I would listen to for months on end. So I think I got Zeppelin II first, and then I started getting all their stuff. And then uh, he also had, like, um, came a little bit later maybe, but Stop Making Sense, the concert movie by the Talking Heads, and he he watched we watched that all the time. So I That's got cool. into Talking Heads pretty hardcore. But then I started discovering like louder, like heavier music. Like my, I got into Metallica and and Guns N' Roses. But like oh, yeah. Metallica, I went really deep on in the late '80s. And then um, from there, I got into things like you know Faith No More and yep. started getting into like alternative music in the really late '80s. It would be like um, Faith No More and. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers put out like Mother's Milk, and then in the early '90s they did um, Blood Sugar Sex, Sex Magic. Magic. Yeah, yeah, and that's when like bands like Jane's Addiction, um, Pearl Jam put out Ten, and Nirvana put out Nevermind, and I started getting into, um, you know, more like more of that stuff. But around the same time, I found Fugazi and DC. 
hardcore and post-hardcore um, and the Bad Brains. I fell in love with Bad Brains. So yeah. it's kind of like starting to get into like more indie underground um, music. And at that point, when you start really listening to, you know, when you're younger and you're listening to like mainstream music on major la- major label records, you don't necessarily imagine that you could like play music. Yeah. And, and, Absolutely. And, so um, at the point where I started getting into more more of that underground stuff, I think, I, and punk, I started thinking about playing music more. I was actually playing in bands. I started playing drums when I was 12, and I, I, I think I played in my first band when I was about 13, and I was in a band with some other junior high kids. And then <laughs> the main songwriter, I think he was like a junior or senior in high school, actually, and, and so... Um, we had a band and then from that point when I was 13 on, I kind of always was in a band and we got better and more serious over time. So, uh, but it was always original stuff. Like we would occasionally play a cover, but, um, it wasn't a normal part of our repertoire, you know? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, what, uh, how long was that band going for? Was it pretty extensive or was it through high school pretty much or? Yeah, so I think I was probably like, a, uh, I was in this band from 13 to 14 or 15, and then that kind of ended, and and um, you know, around 91, nine, around 90, I got into a band that kind of lasted then all the way. I would I would have been about a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and I got into a band that lasted all the way into the first couple years of college so i was playing drums in this band and um we made some tapes and we made like a full length album when i was in college by that point i was in a different i was in two bands one was kind of like alternative rock or whatever you want to call it and one was more like alt country kind of like folk uh within like kind of just like loud loud folk alt country kind of influenced by um you know Sebado pavement oh, I love Sebado. and like Uncle Tupelo and some yeah, yeah. old you know old folk singers and stuff. So I had these two bands going that both went for like five years, which is a long time when you're, is. when you're like a teenager in in your early twenties, you know. Absolutely. Is, is that kind of what um, were you were you in the Boston area at that point as well doing that? Is that what did you go out west or like how did I guess what was that? Yeah, like? I was still in Boston during those years. I went to college in Boston, and um, you know most of the people in my bands were in colleges in the area or working, and um, we did. Yeah, we played in. Boston clubs. We recorded in like Boston, Boston recording studios before, you know, home recording became a thing. And I was mostly a drummer at that point, but I had been playing, I had started playing guitar when I was about 16 and I was like into reading and stuff. So I would sometimes write music and or lyrics for songs in the bands, but I was still on the, on the recordings and at shows, I was still like a, a drummer and I would uh, kind of record my own songs on four track in my very school cool. you know very cool are you proud of those songs or, or is that something that you look back and you're like well yeah that was interesting you know they're pretty good i mean i think they're good songs i think i really <clears throat> it took me a long time to find my singing voice 
And um, I also didn't have a great grasp of like music theory. So I'd often write songs that like were in the wrong key for my voice. So, um, you know, I'm, my, my singing voice is still a work in progress, but back then in particular, it was a little bit rougher, you know, but they're yeah. good. They're good songs. Well, maybe they'll see the light of day. Who's to say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like a lot of the songs, you know, I, I, I did have a solo record that came out in 99 and, um, you know, I was about 24 at that point, and some of the songs were a few years old. So, like those songs have been, some of those songs have been released. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Um, so let's uh, head to when, when, and how you joined Pedro. I guess let's uh, skip ahead to that and kind of yeah. talk about how that um, happened and kind of the the process of that whole situation. Yeah, um, I think I've I've talked about this stuff before um but i guess it's probably been a while so um i was in these bands uh i was like you know graduating college and um i was playing drums in these bands but i was also on the side like at that point already recording my own songs like i mentioned on four track yeah. I had, like a home studio and i had a computer that I could uh, mix down to and burn my own CDs, which was really uncommon um, back in those days. So I was kind of like cobbling together these systems to do mastering and to create CD masters and things like that. Um, and I had these demos of my own songs, even though I took my drum, the bands I played drums in more seriously. But I, um, because I was into home recording, I was into this. I was. I had a subscription to this. Maybe I. They didn't. I don't think they did subscriptions back then. I was into this magazine, this periodical called Tape Op. Are you familiar with that at all? I, I don't think I've heard of that actually. Okay, so it's been around for like twenty-five or almost thirty years, and it's this like kind of um, independent magazine that uh, is about audio engineering and like okay. catered towards hobbyists and kind of semi-professionals and it's really cool they would interview cool bands and they would cover cool music and stuff and talk to engineers and so um i had read uh they had a review section and i read i always read the reviews and was looking for new music so i read a review and i don't remember which record it was but it was of pedro the lion records it was either it's hard to find a friend or the only reason I feel secure. Yeah. Well, maybe it was both of them, but it sounded cool. And I went out and bought the CDs and I liked the CDs a lot. And I thought it was interesting music, like uh, lyrically and songwriting. The arrangements were minimalistic back then. Like slow core was a thing. Yeah. Like it was yeah. kind of a popular thing. And, um, you know, it was just a cool band. And um, I, I liked liked it and i saw that they were on a an independent label and i thought like you know this seems like I, I feel like sympathetic with this band and maybe this would be a label that would be interested in some of my music so i sent some of my solo songs on a cd to the label and the guy liked it and he reached out to me and we started a correspondence via email and Is that made made in mexico yeah made in mexico yes. which was a small seattle label yeah. um and uh, he offered to put out my record, but he want I you know like he sent when Pedro the Lion came through like he 
he asked me to go and hang out and meet them so that he could get a sense of if I was like a normal, normal person. And (laughs) so I went and met them at a show in Boston and, uh, it was cool. We had a little hang and, uh, I realized that, um, the, the bass player and I had gone to the same college at the same time. And we recognized each other just by, you know, like, uh, we recognized each other's faces and we had mutual friends. We were like the same age and both were at Northeastern in Boston at the same time. And so like, it was just a cool vibe. Like we liked each other and, um, I, I was a fan of the, what the band was doing and, um, Dave liked my songs. And so they made in Mexico, put out my record. And then that kind of just started, uh, friendship and, you know, like collaboration. So, um, I was invited to go on tour with Pedro the Lion um, as an opening act because we were on the same label at the same time. And uh, I was invited to play bass on this tour in the band because the bass player was leaving to start a career or something. There was a lot of there was a lot of like throughout the history of Pedro the Lion, a lot of people like coming and going for various reasons, you know, um, and so it was time for a new lineup. And so I did a tour with Pedro, like playing bass and then opening as an opening act, um, would switch instruments. Dave would play drums, Trey would play bass and I would play guitar and sing for my stuff. Then Trey would play drums. I would play bass and Dave would play guitar and sing for Pedro the Lion. And we did a, a tour was really fun and uh this guy adam voith was our merch guy and he had written a book and it was just like you know we just had all had good senses of humor and and uh it was fun and adam and trey are now both really successful booking agents yeah yeah, yeah. very and cool it was trey i you know i'm you know we still have played a lot of music together me and trey and uh, and stuff so um and that was around the time where when Dave, I think, was like finishing or writing Winners Never Quit. And he had transitioned over to Jade Tree Records, which was this label in Delaware and um, a little bit bigger label. And the timing of everything, I don't really remember, but um, that was roughly what was happening was like maybe that first tour was for Winners Never Quit. And then there was a couple tours uh, the, the timing's all kind of sh- hazy. So, um, I didn't play on winners never quit, but like, uh, you know, we had worked on one or two of the songs in, in rehearsals cause yeah. Dave was still trying to figure stuff out at that point. And, you know, I contributed some like drumming ideas and whatnot, but, um, then on, so I, I was still working a job back in Boston. So I kind of, and I was starting to have kids and stuff. So at that time, um, you know, I was kind of more, Dave and I were more or less just friends and he was trying to keep his band going. And, yeah. you know, it was kind of like a solo project with people coming and going. And then Control came around. Um, yeah, I don't even know how much detail to go into all of the stuff. There's, there's 25 years ago too or 20. Yeah. You know, so it's difficult to remember some of the some of the details. Well, tell tell me some some of your perspective on that record and and kind of I've obviously you were involved in it pretty heavily. So just tell me kind of what you thought at the time. Did you think, oh, this is an incredible record? Did you think, 
you know, oh, this, you know, I guess just tell me your feelings on on how that how that whole thing went. Yeah. So, I, you know, like uh, I wasn't super involved with it, to, to be honest. Like I um, there's one song that I kind of co-wrote. Um, the first song on the record, Options, was yes. it is based on a riff that I wrote um, while I, we were on that tour that I was okay. talking. About. So I wrote that like guitar part, basically three quarters of it, and then Dave liked it. He, he was just like I was like playing it in the van or something. And I think I had recently heard Death Cab for the first time, and I kind oh, of yeah. the style of guitar playing and arranging, and I was trying to kind of come up with something similar to something on We Have the Facts and we're voting. Yeah. yeah. And um, Dave heard that riff that I was playing, and he liked it. And he asked if he could use it. And so he wrote options around it. And yeah. and so that's my main contribution to that record because he recorded that in Washington and I was living in Boston. Like I heard demos and, um, you know, I kind of knew what was happening, but we were living on other sides of the country. Yeah. And I was more or less just like, you know, a, you know, a friend and a, somebody he trusted to like, know get feedback on things yeah we couldn't send files back and forth over the internet it would be like somebody's got a fedex you a cdr if you want to hear something they're working on you know so i don't really remember much beyond like kind of knowing that he was working on a record i contributed some ideas and then like hearing it when it was done and then then i was my employment situation was changing and and stuff and he invited me to play in the band for the touring for control and that's kind of when i came okay. on board after the record was done and um that was a larger band um geez i'm trying to remember we did a lot of touring for control but I, maybe the first tour that we did i was like playing second guitar because there was like loud wow. on that record and so um there was a, a band <clears throat> i think the band would have been like me and Dave on guitar and I played keyboards on the songs that had keyboards like Indian summer and magazine. Yeah. And then, um, like I think Casey Faubert was playing drums and John Ford was playing bass. Oh, I love Jonathan. He's coming on podcasting. Oh, cool. And then, so like some of us also play, and then Damien Gerardo was on the tour as well, and Dave had produced a record for him called I Break Chairs, and that was record. sort of about the same time. And so, like, certain members of the Pedro the Lion band were playing in Damien's band, and then I was opening again as well, so that was the three of us, and uh, so we were all playing, like, three, two or three sets a night, and it was bonkers, you know? I bet, I bet. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. I mean, it was, it seemed like things had gone up a, a slight notch cause the band was on a new label and like there was, you know, the song, the music was like obviously way more loud and kind of aggressive. Um, you know, I remember there always being, especially on that record, like starting to be people calling out like the content and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, I actually didn't grow up um, uh, in within like the culture of evangelical Christianity. Uh, like I kind of grew up as basically vaguely Catholic, but actually just agnostic, you know. And so getting 
and I got involved with the band before I knew anything about like the Christian angle or like, you know, Christian rock and um, all of this stuff. So over the years, it, it, because of Dave's content and his transparency, like there was a lot, always a lot of controversy about the lyrics and stuff. I mean, it was ridiculous to me. People were like, you know, uh, talking about a swear in a, in a song. Like, like, I mean, it was, it was crazy to me, but out of, you know, respect for the culture that my friends came out of and the struggle that they were dealing with, you know, with people calling them out for ridiculous stuff. It was like, I kind of just tried to stay uh, an impartial observer for the most, of, sure. most, most of the time. But um, it was exciting. The music was like super jamming. Um, people were into it. And uh, it was a, it was a fun series of tours. I'm not even sure exactly how many times we toured on that record before we made like Achilles heel, but uh, yeah. I was still living in, Massachusetts at that point so it wasn't like a thing where I was in the band it was like the band was like Dave and whoever was around at the time or whoever he wanted to bring in for a specific project you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah makes a, makes a lot of sense um I guess that brings me to my next one Achilles heel let's let's talk about that one for a little bit any thoughts um uh memories um anything that you can I don't know kind of uh delve in on yeah, so um, at that point, <clears throat> I had had two children. I was no longer work. I had like kind of gotten laid off in post nine eleven. Like the market crashed, and like yeah. I was working in technology. I got laid off from a specific job, and I had to make a decision, like what what I want to do. And I I had really enjoyed going on tour, and I enjoyed writing and recording music, so. I decided to move my family out to Washington state and like kind of get involved with what Dave was doing. And like, we had, a, I had a lot of friends out there, like really close friends. Like at that point, I was really close with, um, Trey and, um, you know, his family, he had young kids and like all our wives were friends and stuff. And it was like a really cool family vibe. We moved out to West, Western Washington, out on the Kitsap Peninsula. So it's not like westernmost Washington, but it's on the other side of the Puget Sound. So it was a little funky. We were living in like a Navy town. and um, But I was, because that's where uh, Dave was living at the time, out on the peninsula near Bainbridge Island kind of. And so we, he had like a barn on his friend's property, on our friend's property. And so he was building a studio out there. So I went out there and um, I had heard the demos and they were pretty, they were interesting. It sounded like a little bit different than Control, but it was um, still pretty open-ended how things were going to sound on the record. Um, initially, I was trying to get used to living in a new state and in a rural area and trying to figure out my place in the, in the creative pro- process the the personnel seemed to be changed in the ba- involved in the recording and the and the band and the writing like we knew that we had to make a record cuz it had been a couple of years dave had some songs and he was kind of trying to finish the writing for the record and there were different people around um and the roles were kind of constantly shifting so there were different people at different times 
um, who are maybe kind of in the band or going to play on the record. And there was questions as to like whether I was going to play on the record or Dave was going to do it on his own. We were bringing different people in to try different things. I think that when you have mo- multiple songwriters and multiple multi-instruments and inter- instrumentalists in a band, it makes it really interesting and in that there's a lot of different kind of like combinations that you can try, but it also maybe can make things a little unfocused at times because it's like too many options. Yeah. So um, I think it came, became clear that like we were going to make some demos of the songs and um, that's what we started to do. And um, it was mostly me and Dave working on that stuff, but there were some other people at different times. Like I said, like people kind of coming and going and wasn't clear like what this was going to look like. So there's, I think like Casey Faubert was playing on some stuff. And um, I think Yuki Matthews was there for some of the, some of the time. And then like James McAllister Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they've all gone on to do like really, really cool stuff and have had um, cool careers are still making music. And um, we made a bunch of demos and um, we made them in a rudimentary fashion, just a couple mics on the drums. And we were kind of like whoever wanted to play drums or bass or whatever, just picked it up. And so over time, <clears throat> we were making these demos. And then I think there was like some. And and it was cool. It was like a more organic vibe. It was a little bit more like of a classic rock vibe than Control was. And um, I don't think it was necessarily because of my influence, but Dave was also listening to some different stuff. And we actually were trying to explore and find a sound. I don't think Dave wanted to make another Control-style record. Um and uh, so we were just messing around, and so we ended up with all these demos. And then there was some kind of miscommunication, I think, with the label, and the label was, like, really pressuring us to, like, finish a record. They had given the band a small budget. We had, like, spent the budget on buying equipment or living expenses or whatever, and we had to deliver something, or they were there was some kind of weird ultimatum, and I can't remember exactly the details, but I, my impression is that it's like you got to give us a final you got to give us a master in the next month or like you have to wait 2 years mm. if we're going to put out another record so unbelievable <laughs> yeah so it was like our, you know we were kind of under some pressure so <clears throat> we brought Chris Colbert out oh yeah to yeah. to help us mix because we had this like half finished studio. We had these crappy monitors. The room had no treatment. We had no idea how anything was actually sounding. So Chris helped us mix it. And we thought it was a, a cool record. Like, uh, you know, and uh, that's kind of what I remember. It was like a period of several months. Like I said, there were different people coming and going. We were exploring for a sound and we kind of, never really nailed anything specific in retrospect i think if we had i think the best thing to do would have maybe been to be more deliberate about this like come up have a set of material find a studio maybe work with a producer but we didn't have anybody advising us or like we were just kids and like trying to figure out we had no money and and uh and uh, we were just under these different pressures. And so I think it's got some cool songs on it. And uh, 
it's got one of my songs on it. I wrote that song, Start Without Me, and Dave liked the song a lot, and he wanted to put it on the record. And we did a version of it that was fine. It wasn't um, the best song on the record. I have a version that I that we both liked better, but it was me playing everything and singing. So, um, you know, it just kind of came together, and we put it out, and, uh, you know, the, the, the band kept evolving or devolving, I don't know, from there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic record. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely um, – it's cool that you say that you kind of were under pressure. It probably in some way was a better thing because it really put something that is lasting. That Not that – you know, a producer is a different angle, you know, bringing that in and stuff. So it's cool that you kind of organically did it and it worked out the way it did. I think, I think it's a fantastic record. Yeah, and at that point, Dave was, like, really getting interested in um, – and synthesizers so we were able to use synth on some of the record um you know our friends were doing really cool stuff like i think crystal skulls was starting and like everybody was getting into some really interesting <laughs> directions musically and uh it was it was a it was a fun time i as i was like alluding to i don't think we really realized the full potential there but um but there were a lot of like financial life and creative yeah. creative pressures that kind of dictated what we were able to do and um you know I'm still proud of it I <clears throat> I haven't listened to it in a long time but um there's some songs on it that I like a lot absolutely very cool um let's go on to headphones I guess that that's kind of a transition obviously cuz you said we're saying Dave was into keyboards and whatnot so you know kind of tell me about that record and how that started and you know your involvement with that you know yeah my impression is that um dave was dave probably i think he started playing piano that was like his first instrument when he was a kid and so he was like he kind of like wrote on piano sometimes and he was into synths and the different sounds like um i remember him saying that he was into um What's that Herbie Hancock song from the 80s that was like, um... Man, I don't know. <laughs> I know Herbie Hancock, but it, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, he, he was into synth, and, like, we grew up in the 80s, and synths were all over the place in the sure. 80s. We were all, like, we, we liked synths. Um, and uh, there was synths, I think, there were synths on Control in yeah. Summer, and there were... And, there was like a a Rhodes or a Wurlitzer on um magazine. And then on Achilles Heel we did some synth based stuff and there were like synth synth leads and synth pads and whatnot. Dave wanted to do an all synth band, a, like all synth project. And I think he kinda wanted to like change Pedro the Lion into a synth band, but everybody advised him not to do that. <laughs> At that time, I think the idea would be that we diversify so that we could multiply our income a little bit by having these different projects so we weren't, like, saturating the market, right, like with yeah. with two Pedro the Lion records every year or something. So the concept, um, you know, Dave's idea of – of what we should do was always shifting and it, and it was, it kept it interesting and I was able to accommodate this cause I could play different instruments and stuff. But 
at times it was challenging to get our to get our footing a little bit. So the idea was like, let's do this synth band, and um, it'll be a separate band, a separate brand. Like we can do whatever we want, and um, then like I was gonna start a band too where. It was like all the same people playing in these three different bands, but it was like one was synth with Dave singing, one was guitars with Dave singing, and then there was one band with like me singing. And so I was game to try it. Um, and, uh, you know, that was another situation where it was a bit of a rush to finish the record. I think Dave signed with this um, label Suicide Squeeze with the headphones. So there was a separate budget, a separate timeline. And um, the material was tough, like wasn't totally forthcoming. So like, ultimately, it was a bit of a scramble to finish that record. So it was like me and Dave and uh, the drummer Frank Lenz. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, um, we got him as kind of a ringer to because we were like we were trying to finish this thing fast and it was like how do we do this? Like we got to get some help. And then our sound guy, <coughs> Jared Hankins, had. Um, uh, he was a really talented recording engineer and he had some cool gear. And so like we kind of, you know, hunkered down and tried to make this record. Um, and uh, we had some kind of, we had some decent synths, but we had mostly like cheap, some cheaper synths like Korg and Alesis synths. And then there were some software synths on there. Um, and uh, we were just trying to, trying to make it happen. And uh, I, I think Lens plays all the drums on it. There was one bonus track that was kind of thrown together that I played drums on. And uh, other than that, it's mostly Dave playing synth and writing. And then I did some degree. I'm not even sure I could tell you, like, if, if I listen to the record, what who's playing. What you, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I contributed some ideas and played some synths on that record. And then we did a bunch of touring. Yeah. Um. And there was some interesting shows. We opened for Modest Mouse in Seattle, and we had three synth players at the front of the stage. It was me and Dave and and Ken Murray, who had been playing bass and Pedro the Lion, great musician and and uh, an awesome keyboard player too. So we did the, that. Was the best headphone show ever. It was the three of us playing synth at the front of the stage. Lens played drums. And James McAllister, I believe, was playing a second drum set or playing percussion. And, like, it sounded great. And it was it was really fun. And then um, we did a bunch of touring after that, which was, like, just me and Dave. Like, Dave playing synth with his feet and his hands and singing <laughs> and me playing drums. And That's so incredible. tried to keep that going for a while, but it was, like... Um, we didn't have the right maybe like promotional or marketing pieces in place. And like, you know, it was all on a shoestring kind of budget. And, um, the, we, it, it obviously didn't reach the kind of like, um, audience that Pedro the lion did. So at a certain point it was like, it didn't make sense, um, financially to really keep pushing the sure. issue. But it, I think it was a good creative, um, it was a good creative project. I'm proud of the record. Um, I think like it, it really pushed me and my musicianship when you're just, there's just two of you on stage. I'm trying to play Frank Lenz's drum parts, you know, like 
and um, make it convincing. And I think that, and Dave is like really multitasking. And I think that like we actually pulled it off. Like I've, I've heard and seen some of these like live shows that we did and try, you know, it's a, it's a big sound. Jared was doing the sound for us live and it sounds great. And I think Dave and I both like pulled it off from a musicianship standpoint. And then I think he went on like at a certain point, I couldn't go. Uh, I decided I couldn't go out on the road and like lose money or break even and leave my wife and two kids at home. So, yeah. uh, so Nick, um, uh, this other friend of ours, Nick, who had been playing in Fleet Foxes, he he came and played drums. I think he went out with Dave to do a handful of shows or another tour, yeah. or something on drums. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, well, I, I love that record. I, I think it's fantastic. I I I, I love uh, how raw it sounds, and it's just. I don't know. It's just a great record. So, yeah, I think that Jared did a really nice job too. Like, I want to call him out because um, he had a vision for making each song have a distinct drum sound and a distinct distinct sonic character. And and yeah. uh, so he he made a lot of contributions to that record as well. And Frank played great. You know, it was it was, it was cool. Absolutely, very very cool. Well, um, let's go on to the low time records. Just to briefly uh, talk about those. We have not yeah. much time left, so just wanted to kind of go over those records. I, obviously, you've mentioned that you guys were friends over the years, and so that's kind of what. Where did the idea come from, and what what was uh, the creative uh, this? You know, like where did it go? Hey, let's just do this. Where did that yeah. begin? Yeah, again, it's tough to <clears throat> it's tough to go over all of this stuff in any degree of detail is 25 years worth of music making but um yeah so with low tom i'm trying to remember like i had met jason martin um on tour when we had passed through orange county um and we played cards and hung out and stuff and um we were we became friends um pedro did some touring with starflyer at that time like uh, who was in the band? I mean, it was like Lens playing drums. Richard Swift was oh yeah keyboards at, and Jeff Cloud was playing bass. They were doing like we hung out with them when they were recording old in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I just got to know all of those guys uh, at that time. And uh, we did some touring with Starflyer where uh, I'm trying to remember what happened. I think Lens couldn't make it. Um, and so I had to fill in on drums at the last minute to some shows and stuff for Starflyer. And, um, we just start, we just, we were just buddies. And then at a certain point, somebody had the idea that we should maybe do, um, a, a project together. I don't remember who it was. It was probably Martin who suggested that we, uh, have a band like me and, Martin and Dave and Trey, because we were all like good friends. We knew that we could come up with material and we would have an excuse basically to get together and hang out that was like, you know, like some people play golf or yeah. uh, whatever with their buddies, but we like make, make rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, let me think. I don't remember what year that would have been when we first started working on Low Tom, but it, uh, I have no idea what that what year that was. But um, somebody suggested it. I flew out to like Southern California. Um, Dave flew down from Seattle, and I think Trey had already moved to LA at that point. So we were um, holed up in a, like a really small 
project studio and we did a handful of songs like basically low the way low tom worked mostly was that like i would come up with musical ideas and make demos martin would come up with musical ideas and make demos and then we would kind of like filter through those and then try to and then dave would try to like kind of come up he would kind of pick demos that he felt he could like sing over yeah. like write some lyrics and vocals over melodies and so um that first session we got like four songs out of that <clears throat> and then it wasn't f until like uh another year or two later i have no idea actually how much time went by but i went back out we had some more demos and we recorded basic tracks for um four more songs or whatever and those and um and that we kind of had our shit together a little bit better yeah. at that point you know and so we had two different sessions um like a year apart or more and um we dave did all the vocals in like one weekend or something wrote all the lyrics and and finalized everything over a weekend and then it was mixed um by somebody that um, Martin knows, his name is Jr. McNeely. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, then we had this record, and then like Trey is like a booking agent, so he wanted to like do some do some shows. Um, Barsook, uh, you know, agreed to put yeah. it. And uh, yeah, we did a bunch of shows, like uh, or five, six shows. I don't know. Like we, it was fun. They, everybody flew to Boston. We rehearsed for like one one day for like three hours or something, and then played a show in Boston, and then we drove to New York, and then we then um, the next weekend or a couple weeks later, I have no idea when it was. Like I flew out to L.A. L.A. or something, and then we played like L.A. and Orange County. I don't remember if we did a San Francisco show, but then we flew to Seattle. So we tried to play like everybody's hometown in the band and luckily we were all lived near big cities so it was like we would have audiences i think at different times we had talked about trying to do chicago and and some other cities but the logistics were just a lot yeah sense. that yeah. makes sense well but those are great yeah because we played we also did like kexp and stuff yeah um it was it was fun like that was all um that was a good time that first record yeah, I mean, those are fantastic. I, I love hearing – it's weird because as a fan, you can hear kind of all, all four of your influences. You know, I was a big fan of Valor 100 for, for Trey and, yeah. you know, a big Starflyer fan, obviously. And, you know, so it's just, you know, hearing everyone's individual input, it's – to me, it's clear as day in, in all the songs, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of thought that it would have been cool if we had I like bands that have like multiple singers like um like uh, the Beatles, obviously, Fugazi, um and uh there was a band I liked a lot called Silkworm. I like I like these bands that have different songwriters and singers. So I wanted like Martin to be singing. Something. Same here, same here, hundred percent. And I didn't really I wasn't super enthusiastic about me singing necessarily, but I just thought it would have been cool if we all sang and um and um but i think martin in particular wanted like a consistent like vision for the band and he doesn't like singing live so <laughs> um but that's an alternate history that would have been cool like absolutely and then we could have played each other we like we could have played back catalog songs too because when we when we played those shows um those that first bunch of shows we had eight songs 
And so we would play the record and then we would play the first two songs again as the encore. <laughs> That's amazing. And if we had had different sing, like I even thought it would be cool to hear Dave singing like Starflyer songs and stuff, oh, but nobody, imagine? nobody else in the band, yeah, nobody else in the band wanted to do that. I what? thought cool. That's nuts. I would have, man, people would have lost their minds for sure. That's hilarious. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I really, um, I want to go back or excuse me. I want to go forward to fruitless research. I, I know you've got plenty of solo records. They're all fantastic, but I kind of wanted to touch on this one because it definitely, uh, struck a chord with me. And I really love that record. Um, that's probably one of my favorite records of that year that came out. Um, so you kind of maybe talk about that record a little bit. Um, and I've really gravitated to fundamental uh, ground, and I just yeah, just talk about that record and you know, and that song possibly. Yeah, and come. yeah sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's maybe my best full length album. Like, I can I, I appreciate that you like it. Um, and uh, fundamental ground is one of the best, better songs that I've written. Like, maybe my my favorite song of mine. Um, so thank you. The just to give you some background, like I had, like I mentioned, I, I have been writing songs since probably 1990 or something like that. And um, my first solo record came out in 99 on Made in Mexico. I had another solo record on a label in Chicago in 2001 called Blue Law. So the first record in 99 is called How We Spend Our Days. And I had a record 2001 called Blue Laws which my friend Frank Padalaro co-produced with me. And it's got some really cool like string arrangements on it and stuff. And that's kind of like my slow core record. <laughs> and then um, had an EP in 2002 on another label. And then I was kind of from there, I was like more focusing on um, uh, work, working with Dave on hit on Pedro the Lion and like, and headphones and stuff for the next several years trying to remember the chronology so then i had a band called the soft drugs we did a couple eps yeah. later compiled as a record <clears throat> and then um i also made a solo record called uh songs of pain and leisure and that was around that same time that i had the soft drugs i don't remember when that came out but that record was because i felt like i had never I had like a new understanding of music based on all of my experience and being a professional musician. And, and, um, I really felt like I wanted to kind of take another stab at making a good record. So I, I was ha really happy with songs of pain and leisure. The next record I had some songs and I really wanted to explore like different types of arrangements and sounds and and stuff and and i felt like it was time to work with a collaborator and um yuki is a is an old friend um a good friend and a really really talented guy he's like he, he's definitely somebody i know several people i that you know kind of approach genius level when it comes to music and stuff and he's one of those people like um he has a really singular way of thinking about music and it's like non-linear it's very experimental and he has a great ear for 
for sound design. And so um, I wanted to work with Yuki on this record. And this was right when he was starting to get into doing production and stuff. Like um, he went later went on to like join the shins and, and do a lot of cool records with them and other artists. Um, but um, basically the process for that record was be, I would make a demo and I would send it to Yuki and then he would kind of like deconstruct it to varying degrees. Like initially he was like really taking the songs apart and reharmonizing them, like putting new chords sometimes underneath it. Like he would choose half of the elements for my demo and then he would like do a bunch of overdubs and do a bunch of editing and stuff <clears throat> over time. He took a more conservative approach with the songs like and um you know a song like fundamental ground is essentially how i wrote it like you know the 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 chords and the melody and the lyrics and the song structure and he more um and a lot of the instrumentation i had recorded as well and then he kind of like took it to the next level with the arrangement and the sound design and stuff some of the songs he he really changed significantly um but it was a true collaboration. Like um, I was the main songwriter, but he has songwriting credit on a lot of the songs because he kind of changed a lot of the, the musical elements. Um, and it was a real collaboration. And I kind of gave him free reign to do what he wanted. And like from the beginning, um, I definitely knew to trust him. He did some cool stuff. And I was in a position at that point to like not be precious about um, – about like my ideas and let other people come in and contribute. I would say, yeah. Yeah. So it turned out really cool. A lot of cool synth sounds on it. I definitely wanted to have a more synthetic, um, weird lo-fi kind of, um, sound on that. And we, we definitely, uh, achieved that. And, uh, yeah, it has some of my favorite stuff on there. Um, I, I, fundamental ground in particular it's a unique song because it's only got it's technically has four chords in it but one chord only happens once and so it's basically three chords and it's this circular riff that um it's kind of polyrhythmic like um yeah. the melody kind of weaves in and out of this circular three chord riff and it creates some really cool um phrasing and melodic opportunities and it's very simple um but uh, uh yeah i i uh i'm i'm happy with how that turned out and it was a good experience working with yuki for sure and it was a time in my life where i was actually struggling a lot with some health issues um and so that was another reason that i wanted a collaborator was i didn't feel like i had the kind of the energy and the capacity to make another record sure. on my own um and it came it was a you know everything came together um, of kind of all the stuff that we've talked about, what do you feel like is your what you're most proud of? Not so much most proud of, but what do you feel like of all the things you've done? It's like this is like I don't know the crown jewel or the or, or the your your finest moment, I guess, if you will. Um, that's an interesting, interesting question. I guess uh, I mean I think that like I've consistently I've I've ha I've taken time off from making music at different times of my life, like um, and I've focused on different aspects of music making at different times whether that's technical or compositional or performance yeah. or whatever um and i think um i do have to say that i've i've gotten 
gradually better at doing this like over over time i think so like i think that and this is kind of a common thing that people say but i made a record last year called daylight it's just an ep and i think that like that is the most fully realized like and most interesting um piece of music that i've done is that that ep um it kind of there's no stringed instruments at all on it it's like no no guitars or bass guitar on there it's all um synthesizer and um drums and drum machine and um i think it's the most interesting thing i've done and the probably the catchiest thing too i do think like you said fundamental ground is a is a kind of if i've written any kind of classic song that's the one that people um call out and i i can't disagree with them i think it's a good song and um so probably between those two pieces that that ep i made last year and fundamental ground those are kind of the um the the best things i've done that's great oh my alarm went off sorry man (laughs) cool man awesome well I really appreciate you taking time uh, to spend with me and, and, and just talk. And I know you probably had been on plenty of uh, podcasts before, but I really just appreciate you being so cool and, and just, uh, you know, I don't know, just being available. I really appreciate it. And maybe at some point we can do uh, another one at some point. Um, so I really want to thank you again for being on, on the show. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, man. I will talk to you at some point soon. Okay. Take thank care. You. All right, man. Bye-bye. Hey, I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this latest episode. Uh, And thank you so much to T.W. Walsh. Really cool conversation. Uh, Totally awestruck at at one point. Uh, It was just cool to talk to somebody I admire musically and uh, just a really cool opportunity for me. So I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I know a lot of it uh, probably has been spoken about before. So uh, I apologize for those who have heard these stories, but I think it's just really cool. Uh, opportunity for me and and, uh, this podcast as well. So thank you again, TW, and uh, really looking forward to who we have coming up next. So thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.